Episode 1, The World Speaks. Hi, welcome to Reaction Shots, uh, the Easy Allies movie podcast. This is the first episode. Uh, hopefully it sounds good. We got a new mixer, and this is the p- first time we're using it at all. Separate audio channels, baby. We're moving on up. Oh, yeah. Anyways. Can uh, you hear my heavy breathing? Yeah. <laughs> we're going to hear all of it. Uh, so I'm joined by my co-host, Michael Huber. Greetings. And I'm here with Alan Miller. Hi. And I'm Ian Hink. Uh, since it's the first episode, you may be thinking, you guys normally talk about video games at Easy Allies. What credentials have thee to discuss flims? So, uh, Hubert, uh, do you have any experience or background in film? Extremely minor. Uh, went to San Francisco State, graduated college, uh, journalism degree, but I minored in film. Uh, it was mostly because... So, literally minor. Yeah, literally. Yeah. Uh, it's mostly because I love movies so much. Uh, it's just, like, this thing I do to mainly bond with my dad. Like, we always talk about movies and whatnot. And video games I take a little more seriously, like, kind of look into it more than movies. Mo- movies for me are just pure escapism, so. Yeah. That's it. Alan, tell us about your film background. Uh, yeah, I guess I have a background in film. Uh, yeah, I also <laughs> have, have one of them film minors. I'm from uh, Vancouver, British Columbia, and I went to undergrad up in Victoria, uh, where I took... Basically, I didn't know what I was going to take, and then when I got there, I started taking film studies courses and that's sort of when like the world of movies beyond like the just like the multiplex movies that i'd been renting over and over again uh from mega movies <laughs> didn't have a blockbuster near me oh. uh but that there was this different world of movies and that that it made sense to me and that like the language of film made sense to me and so i just pursued the minor i i think i covered the minor like two or three times over while I was there. Mm. And then I made a coming out of there. I, well, I I started shooting music videos and shorts and things like that. And, uh, and then I made a sort of proper short film that I raised money for, uh, and went out and shot that. And then that got into a number of festivals. And then that got me sort of exposed to like the wider world of film. And I met some people, uh, from LA and heard about USC. So then I, uh, came down to USC and I did a, a, a master's at uh, USC and uh, then I got out of there and my thesis film uh, I made a thesis short that that also did well and won some awards and that has allowed me to stick around in America yeah uh, where I continue and to what is it Ex- artist of extraordinary and ability I, no no I'm an alien of extraordinary oh. ability <laughs> oh okay thank you very much alien. that is my official title <laughs> and I I will have it pronounced accurately yes uh oh and uh, we'll put links in the description to your sure. short films sick uh so those. if you want to see those i've seen two of them and i loved them so well thank you yeah i liked the falling one better that's fair yeah. that's fair most people do <laughs> yeah well it's better yeah uh i mean the other ones look they're too. not all home runs all the, right, the other one's good too that's, as a, we're gonna talk about hit. on a it's movie it's a three base hit <laughs> <laughs> Which is good, I think. I don't know. Three base hit. Yeah. Triple. Oh. Triple. You know sports. I don't know. Is that right? You can call it that. Okay, yeah. yeah. Three base hit. Triple. (laughs) Anyway, I I realize I've never actually talked about this really. I, uh, you know, have loved movies my entire life. Uh, When I was a kid, you know, I just watched them religiously and they're everything to me. And then... uh, 
But then I got into my head I wanted to be an actor, so I went and I auditioned to a bunch of conservatories and I got into uh, the theater school at DePaul in Chicago. Uh, and then I was in that for two years and then they kicked me out, which is great because, like, actually is one of the better things that ever happened because I learned the language of speaking to actors and then I went into the digital cinema program there and uh, got a major in uh, filmmaking, digital cinema, whatever. Uh, and that was great. And then I've been kind of just doing it ever since, I guess. Editing, making stuff, writing. Anyway, uh, today's topic is The World Speaks. And what that means is uh, we're talking about world building, lore, ambient storytelling. The, the details that are in the background of the world of a film that enhance and further the story without being over-explained. And, in my opinion, make a film a lot stronger and make the world of a film a lot stronger when you don't have to spell everything out. And, I mean, we'll get we'll talk about this a little more later, but there are good ways to do it and there are bad ways to do it with exposition. Uh, I think Children of Men is a good example. In the beginning, they have a news thing that says, the youngest person alive has died and the new youngest person alive is this person and, like, people are freaking out and no one knows why women can't have babies and stuff like that. And, like... That's done okay. Like, I think it's pretty well done. And then there's Inception, where it's just like, here's 45 minutes of the rules. Uh, have fun. Um, yeah, we'll talk about that in a minute. But uh, the assignment film coming into this, and the film that we're going to base everything kind of around, is Mad Max Fury Road. Because mm -hmm. I think that it has some pretty incredible little details and world building. And uh, I think that it's, you know pretty cool movie like really yeah. well-made movie one of the better action yeah. movies maybe ever uh and so Absolutely. we're gonna use that but uh some other examples that i think do well are the john wick series blade runner alien children of man gattaca brazil dread dark city 12 monkeys city of lost children and a bunch of other ones who framed roger rabbit favorite of mine wally so glad you put that on there <laughs> oh dude well it's so good because it effortlessly just and that, this, this to me is one of the, the key components of a well-built world is that things can be weird and different and strange and no one, re like, no one points that out. For them, that's the reality, mm -hmm. you know? And yeah. in a little while, we'll talk about how the world can actually serve the characters uh, in an important way. But um, So uh, the one thing that a lot of movies that I listed with good world-building... Like Robocop, Fifth Element, Pacific Rim, Avatar, Star Trek. Uh, they're mostly sci-fi and fantasy. Uh, can can films that take place in our reality still have good world building? Like, the things that come to mind are like Wes Anderson films or uh, the John Wick series. Like, kind of our reality, but a little skewed, a little different. What about like Gus Van Sant or Lars von Trier, like... Does art does style equal world building or is that just cool cinematography? I like Tarantino comes to mind, mm -hmm. like Kill Bill, because Kill Bill is such like it is in in the modern world. There's nothing like crazy fantastical about it aside from her like you know doing crazy kung fu and like punching through wooden yeah. boxes and whatnot. But and for the, the dirt most, coming down, yeah, yeah, it's a little advanced. But. For the most part, it seems pretty grounded in reality, but there is kind of this comic book manga style like world building to it that they, they kind of allude to, allude to with like the gangs and 
and uh, just you know the the five point palm exploding heart technique I think right. of just kind of all the all those things and and I think that's an an example I don't know do you guys agree? Yeah, I mean I I would say like not to start off by being like too overly broad, but I think that like for me a lot of movie making is world building like that's yeah. just what it is. It just it's telling it's setting a, a, a stage and then telling a story within the world of this particular movie and that doesn't have to be it's easier to 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 identify in sci-fi because you're yeah. doing things that are different from the normal world but i think like manchester by the sea they built that world and like how this is how this world of like this community of people works and interacts and right. and the way that they're able to communicate and like the places they go and like that is world building also because movies are totally artificial like you're nothing that right. they're not actually just turning on a camera and and like shooting these places and these people yeah so it's like they have to build that world and like make the the way that people interact make sense and i think so there's that just is the act of of like making a movie is making that make sense and then i think a lot of the stuff that bumps for people when a movie doesn't feel like it's working is that there's something wrong with that world that they built that's like people are either acting in a way that is doesn't make sense for what they've already set or they never set up enough rules so people just seem to be acting arbitrarily and it's like breaking that world. Yeah. Um, so filmmaking equals world building. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's the episode. Yeah. Thanks for, <laughs> we solved it. Uh, but no, I think so. It's like that's what makes it really fun, especially in something that puts a twist on reality, like like uh, Kill Bill or something, mm -hmm. uh, where it's like that is totally like that. Where I, I love it when you, you you're walking into you know you sit down in a movie and you feel like you're thrown into the a movie, a world in the middle of it. And I think yeah. that's what makes successful world building is in a large part, like feeling like you're, you're, you're meeting it in transit and that mm -hmm. it's already built and that you're getting little glimpses of it and that it just feels so much bigger than what they're showing you. And then, so it's like you go into a Tarantino movie and somebody's like, you know, you're like, Oh, Mr. Pink's here. And they go, Mr. Pink, Mr. Pink, everybody, oh, Mr. Oh, Pink. Yeah. and everybody knows who Mr. Pink is. Right. And like, so all of a sudden, you know, Mr. Pink is, you know, I haven't seen Reservoir Dogs in a long time. Yeah. I don't remember who, the is that Buscemi? Whatever, temper. the wolf. Yeah, the wolf, the wolf is, wolf, is a better yeah, example where it's like the wolf. Fiction. You're like, you're going to get the you're wolf. You're going to call the wolf? And it's like, all of a sudden, it's like the wolf is like, boof, like this, we've never heard of the wolf. Right. And all of a sudden, he's like this figure that looms over this world of gangsters that we already know that are already scary. And yeah. he's like the scariest. Yeah. And it's like, that's world building when you get little hints of it and like, there's a structure to it. Yeah. I mean, using our film for this month, uh, as an example of that, just building it out by degrees uh, in Mad Max Fury Road. First, they establish, you know, there's a little bit of VO in the beginning. We're fighting over water, blah, blah, mm -hmm. blah. The world is destroyed. Um, but then you see Max standing in the desert by himself. He crushes a lizard and eats it raw. A two-headed like, lizard. Yeah. And you're like, okay, so mutations are a thing. The, there's no water. This guy's out here by himself, but he's got to survive, scrounge for food, eat live mutant lizards you know and then oh the, ca the car his car is yeah. bigger in frame than he is yeah oh yeah and then like here come these other guys there's a threat you know every every part of the thing expands the focus so it starts with max and this little lizard and we're in his head we're hearing this vo mm -hmm. and then an external threat expands it to four cars instead of the one and then he's taken to the citadel and it's this this you know, civilization where they're dependent on this one person because he's got all the aqua cola. But I think and what's cool you know, about that is that they don't tell us 
the right. citadel with they don't right. it doesn't happen a with a title like, card doesn't come a up a title card doesn't come up a wide citadel. shot doesn't come up like all we see is like the car wrecks and then he wakes up in the a cave and they're going to tat him up and they're going to tat they're going to brand him actually they're like yeah. they got this oh, thing yeah. they heat it up and all he knows is that there's this brand that's a steering wheel with a flamey skull yeah. in it and all we see is that big and red coming towards screen and he knows that that's that equals that's bad, bad. <laughs> so he uh you know fights his way out of that and fights and fights and runs and we get little glimpses of this crazy world that's underground and then all of a sudden he, he we think we're underground right and then it bursts out the door and then all of a sudden we see the we're citadel. way, high up. We're way yeah. high up there's no there's no water but there is green up on top right and then we see that same skull carved into the mountain so we know that this is a symbol for something one larger one-to-one yeah. one. and then from that we cut directly to the the scar brand on the back of somebody's neck and we don't know who that is yet we sort of assume maybe it's tom hardy right uh being like oh and now he succumbed and then we pull back and it's charlie's theron yeah and it's furiosa and so we know that this person has already gone through what we just saw him fighting right and all of a sudden we understand like boom to boom to boom to boom and like zero words have been said. Yeah. And that's the genius of this film is that things are motivated. Things lead one to one like that. They link together in a formal and, and logical way. And yeah, it's largely without dialogue. And that's so just impressively well done. And it's a Mad Max movie. Like there's no, it doesn't yeah. need to be that. <laughs> I think, I, I don't know. I find when when i'm coming out of a movie and if i like it or i don't like it like i find more and more the 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 adjective i'm using for it uh which is pretty meaningless to the most of the people i'm saying this to but is uh, is graceful ah. and if a movie is graceful and to yeah. me that means like well directed and done with intention because uh i think i think it went around on the internet do you guys ever see like a, a scene from taken three or something I never and saw three I never it was saw three i think it was three i i, I don't know it was some random Tech like three in? pretty bad uh uh like action movie and it it took 17 edits to get the i think it was probably liam neeson down an alley and over a fence oh wow and it was 17 edits and it kind of went around the internet because everybody's like this is stupid and it's partly because liam neeson actually is like a 70 year old man right uh even though he's awesome uh, and it's partly because there's nothing else going on, so they're trying to make it exciting by using yeah. cuts, but like a better movie does that in one cut. Right. Uh, and that's like a graceful movie to me. And like and uh and what good storytelling is is like doing that like with uh with brevity. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and then you're like, Oh, we can tell so much more story because we're not like Children laboring through yeah. Legendary. Yeah. That intro, like you were saying in where it's right. just like like the like I love how it doesn't cut because you can just get absorbed in that moment with him. Yeah. And I, I just Well yeah. and that's actually something that uh that ties in with some things that some patrons had said. Um but the cinematography I think is part and parcel. The form is the function with world building because Children of Men, that first shot and the all the long takes in that movie give it this documentary feel this mm -hmm. realistic feel and it makes it feel it grounds that reality it it builds the world in the sense that oh i'm watching this thing that's shot like the news or like a documentary piece and that grounds it to you and and you know furthers the message and i think that's that's very graceful in that regard uh patron not jack was talking about the departed settings speaking to each character 
the juxtaposed lifestyles of Leo and Damon and their mo uh, mole roles, the glass walls of police HQ showing transparency or sometimes the ob obfuscation of that. Lost in Translation's setting is the third character in the film, as the way it is shot is meant to represent Murray's outlook on life through the story. Uh, Chris LaRue says the Clockwork Orange like, world builds in reverse by like introducing dramatic odd twists to subvert your expectations. And I think that's pretty interesting. And I, like talking about the location as another character, as a foil or as an enemy, uh, I think The Revenant is another good example of that. Um, this one's not exactly about cinematography because I read the wrong thing, but like this, the idea of the location being a character, the world mm -hmm. being a character. Uh, what do you think of that? Like, is the Revenant is is the wilderness of the Revenant? as important a character in that film as Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio's. Yeah, for sure, because he's, like, surviving in it. Yeah. So he has to battle it. He's, like, battling a character in this sense. So I think it's a case-to-case -case basis, but I, I think it is very important for, for that movie. Yeah. And, or, yeah. like, something like Dark City. Or yeah. Like <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's it doesn't have to be, but so often the world, like, the physical setting of the world is so important to the world building because... If you're doing something new and different, if it's sci-fi, if it's fantasy or whatever, then it's those little, it's like little pieces of set dressing that like make it feel, uh, the details that make it feel like, oh, this isn't, uh, they're, they're going further than the basics than they have to, you know what I mean? That, that like they're putting the care into thinking this through and not just being like looking at a slug line that's like in cave, right? you know, and it's like, okay, but what, who are the people that live in this cave? What are this, what are the things that are on this wall? You know, uh, like the details in Mad Max, like the the fact that they don't really address it in a in a direct way, even though it's present through the whole thing. But like the the religion, the fact that like, yeah. that the war boys uh, that that steering wheels have become religious objects. Yeah. Uh, and that they worship them and they worship machinery and guzzling yeah. and and all these things. And like the even the fact that they say guzzling, I don't Guzzoline. know. If it, I don't know if that's yeah. just a, a Australian thing. I don't think it is. I think it's like it's for the movies. Like they, each movie, like it goes farther and farther right. from further and further from. Right, and gasoline. I think that that's like the fact that they, you know, the way that things change over time. That it's like that they've lost a direct connection to. Uh, oh, we ran out of oil. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like no, like the world is different now because we ran out of oil and because we whatever we nuked. It's generic like the, right. the the apocalypse is generic yeah but then the world that came out of it is so specific mm -hmm. or like the name the bullet farmer yeah like just that name is like okay i got i have a whole idea of what's going on over there that yeah. we never see yeah um yeah. i don't think there's nobody that names characters better than oh, george yeah. Miller. it's like just great. mad the people like, eater the people eater yeah not like words that are nonsense but convey something yeah, yeah. Awesome. Imperator uh, Furiosa. Imperator oh, Furiosa. Furiosa. Uh, Immortan Joe. Immortan like, Joe. Immortan. That is yeah. that is not a word. Well, the, that's another thing that this movie does so well is because you know I was talking earlier about how exposition is tricky to do in a, in a well built world. Um, I think that slang is very hard in uh, sci fi movies or you know like in Battlestar Galactic everybody's talking about like fracking and whatever you know fracking hell and all that but i think that in this movie it's by and large uh, comes across very naturally like when like when people just say mediocre yeah but it seems that mediocre can be good or bad 
Because, like, when someone does something cool, they're all like, mediocre, you know? And they're like, witness. Yeah. All these things that just further the development of this world in subtle ways because the people in the movie are owning it. Well, it reminds me of uh, of Deadwood. The, did you guys watch the HBO show? I watched Deadwood? part of season one, yeah. yeah. And I heard a, an interview somewhere with uh, David Chase, and he was saying that, like, they, they, they were asking about the swearing because it's, like, just filled wall to wall with just the worst cursing that you can possibly think up and uh somebody pointed out that this is uh anachronistic they did not say that all everything that they're saying in the show back in the day and he's like yeah we wrote it with uh period appropriate cursing and everybody felt all old-timey and quaint and then that's not how they were actually perceived within the world so we had to switch out you know the shakespearean Mm -hmm. insults For for the real insults and then like stuff that oh the what are the worst grossest things we can say right and the most like racist and sexist and and everything and then that actually gives the viewer the impression the appropriate impression of the world I like that yeah like you have to adapt you have to you always have to have your audience in mind you have to adapt what you're creating so that the right messaging comes across and I think that that's a really good example of that um, speaking of Australian things in Mad Max. Uh, patron Stephen Beaumont offered a tidbit that I didn't know. Uh, uh, one of the main Australianisms that, that he found in viewing is the use of the aerosol paint can. Apparently, uh, chroming is an unfortunate pastime of some people in Australia, which is to intoxicate oneself with paint fumes. So not only does all shiny and chrome refer to the desirable state of a car and petrol heads, but also refers to the fact that these acolytes get high and it gives them a greater sense of strength and lowers their fear of pain and death. So that's like an actual like reference to that yeah. thing, which is cool. I don't think they I don't think they they grill up themselves. Right, so I think right, it's more right. of like it's a more plastic like a It's more yeah, like a yeah. plastic bag uh-huh. situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, that'd be yeah. yeah, pretty telling if you just spray your <laughs> face with Have you been have you been huffing boss, spray I gotta, paint? No, boss, no, I just went out no, for a smoke. Oh, no, yeah, I swear, I swear. Um but yeah, uh uh, cinematography in world building is something that we were talking about before. Uh, patron Imminent Jargon brings up a film that I actually haven't seen. Uh, the adaptation of Hard to Be a God. Have you seen this? I have not I seen have it. Not I seen haven't it. heard of it or of I've the heard thing of it. that it's based yeah. on. Um, but uh, he says it immediately comes to mind. Does a wonderful job at making the images feel in, uh, feel tangible in terms of physical texture, smell, dampness, etc. The narrative world is also strongly defined, but I think it also projects... Uh, a powerful feeling of sensory immersion through its visuals and in a very different way than say Mad Max by utilizing claustrophobic framings and shorter camera distances than Miller's emphasis on scale and monumentality from a different perspective uh, I think the Tim Burton Batman movies paint an incredibly effective picture of the city of Gotham the period style art direction classic Hollywood costumes and use of matte paintings backdrops uh, really matte painting backdrops really brings out a sense of the city being a downward spiral of economic decline and social decay I was gonna say 89 Batman yeah like that so much more so than the than like the Nolan Batmans do a different thing um and to my to to my taste they got less and less interesting as they went yeah. on but that the first Gotham that Nolan made which threw back threw back kind of towards the Burton one but didn't go nearly as far but like really felt like a new its own thing with its own personality and like the Burton ones even way more Felt like you're like, oh, okay. I don't know. This doesn't feel real, but this world feels real. Yeah. Um, I, I think of uh, randomly Lion. 
just came out oh, last year. Yet, yeah. The first half is like in the past and it's about the little boy getting lost in like India and the whole first part is just extremely cramped, extremely like poorly lit, uh just like really weird static long shots like from a distance and you just feel isolated and you feel claustrophobic. And, and you feel lost because it's so dark. You don't. Yeah. He doesn't know where he is. You don't know where he is. And then past that, the movie opens up and mm. it gets brighter and, and wider. Um, well, and then you contrast that with Slumdog, uh, which was, you know, like the cinematography and the editing of that movie gave you this totally different impression of India of being mm-hmm. this like energetic and crazy and, and vibrant place yeah. that was... Uh, well, except for the, all the like orphan like eye gouging, was like sort of warmer than that than the, <laughs> the one in Lion because yeah. it was like instead of being like lost and totally like isolated, it was like you couldn't be isolated because there's so yeah. much going on. Yeah, I, I just I love that kind of stuff where the the formal choices that you make, the cinematography, the shots you're framing, uh, are telling that story as well, and like. When it's motivated like that, where it's like I'm lost, I'm claustrophobic, yeah. he, I don't know yeah, where I am. Yeah, he barely talks, so and then you like, don't show the environment, mm, yeah, and you only show the character in this environment. And do you think that it's possible to build, uh, to effectively build a world with nothing but close-ups? Is that better? I don't know if it's. I I don't think you could ever say it's better or worse, depending on what what you're doing. But a movie that comes to mind when you say that is The Master. Mm. Um, cause that was, you know, that was shot on 65 mil film, this huge, that's used, yeah. supposed to be used for Lawrence of Arabia or whatever. And, yeah. and it's mostly close-ups of, of Joaquin Phoenix and Philip Seymour Hoffman's faces. And it's telling this super internal story and it plays out as like landscapes on their faces. Right. And I saw that at, I saw that here in LA at the dome. That's this gigantic screen and you're looking at these faces, they're just like huge yeah. up there. And it did tell this world of like how these two men are really repressed and and in their own ways reaching out and trying to find connection. And it's like, it, yeah, and it, but it, yeah. it puts you in their world. An inner world. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I just thought of uh, Wizard of Oz does it with color. Mm-hmm. Kansas is sepia. And then I know people know, hate. Zack Snyder and are not too fond of Zack Snyder or Watchmen, <laughs> but Watchmen is legit one of my favorite movies. And the title sequence with uh, yeah. the times they are changing and just like everything they build in the world within the first couple minutes, like you, you brought up expository dialogue. Is that expository imagery? Is that even a thing? Yeah, I wonder. Are, are I you cool with that? I think you're sort of sort of like there's a there's an old saying like you're allowed one. You're allowed a coincidence to start your story, right? Not to end your story, and right. I think you're allowed. You know, you're allowed your monologue at the beginning. Right. Yeah. It'd be yeah. even awesomer if you if you didn't need it. If you didn't but, have to. But if you, that's where you are allowed to to sort of say like, "Hey, we're going to tell you a story. This is what it's about." Yeah. And then you go on from there. And I think like uh, like title sequences, like Deadpool, same mm-hmm. thing where it's like. <laughs> okay this yeah. title sequence tells you exactly what world yeah. this is it's like it's it's going to be fourth wall breaking it's going to be mm-hmm. uh goofy it's going to be gross it's going to be sort of beautiful and and it's like that is tells you exactly what that movie's going to be yeah yeah it's cool uh 
I think that that leads right into uh, when does information cross the line into exposition? Like, let's think about The Matrix and Inception as examples. Uh, are they good world building or do they both have expositional dialogue? Uh, patron Fenderbelly Bodine says, Inception is great the first time through, but the constant exposition and over-explaining of everything is a complete bore on subsequent viewings. I think that I, uh, I actually think that Christopher Nolan has a problem with this very sure. frequently. I would almost say... Uh, all three Batman movies and Inception suffer mm-hmm. from this, that mm-hmm. and in Interstellar, that rewatches are not mm-hmm. as fun. I think that the Prestige does not have this problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to uh, I want to bring up Blade Runner, actually. Yeah, and um, it's funny. I think expository dialogue has become like this dirty yeah word, but sometimes it's important. Like Blade Runner, I think is a cool example when your discovering it with the character and when yeah. Deckard goes in and he's learning about the new Nexus 6 robots or whatever he, he doesn't know what those are so the captain is explaining like all right you know the Nexus 6 they have like smart intelligence superhuman strength right he's like telling us and him so I don't usually have a problem with expository dialogue if it's done in a in a cool way like that where it's I mean, like I captain think, yeah. telling his that's, guy that's the great that's yeah. the key like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. If the character doesn't know a thing and mm-hmm. it's reasonable for them to ask, because in but real what about life, Inception? People talk because to isn't each it, other. isn't that a similar thing? Like it's, they're but, telling but someone it, they, who doesn't know. It's also yeah. a matter of degrees because the character has no purpose in that movie other, other than, than to be the the person that surrogate. gets the audience yeah. surrogate that the, the the dialogue gets said to. Mm-hmm. And because I agree, I the first time I saw Inception, I was blown away. Yeah, and I was like on the edge of my seat. I'm watching. It's like this feels like new and crazy you feel like you're just keeping ahead of it right right and then the second time i watch it out like so bored out of my mind and far be it for me to criticize chris nolan but like that it's just he's trying to to get you to this really cool idea that he has that's complex and that he needs you to get to but he does have this problem of just having people say it instead of finding other ways i think it's also the fact that he is you know identifies as like a really commercial filmmaker and he doesn't want to leave anyone behind. Yeah. And I think that the, you have to risk that to do some of these things with, with more guys. Cause you compare like, like inception with a very different movie, but one of my favorites, eternal sunshine. Yeah. And that one, it takes place in somebody's head. It's really complicated, but they trust the audience enough to, that they're going to be able to pull you through the, the bits that are confusing. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's confusing on purpose and it, but it that movie has like the most rewatch value for me because yeah. every time you see it, you understand like oh they really thought this through and they really uh, this it reflects the way that brains actually seem to work a lot more than than Inception does. I mean maybe Chris Nolan's brain works in this very yeah. linear binary way, yeah. but I don't think other people's but, do. But I think there's value there too with Inception because like again the first time you watch it in the theater with everyone, I mean you come out of that you you don't think. Mm-hmm. You don't notice as many of the minor minor details. You can't scrutinize it as much on one viewing. Yeah. But I still think there's value in, in that in that experience of like sharing it all together yeah. in the moment versus, you know, obviously an inter- eternal sunshine where you can like rewatch it and it holds up and it gets better and better and better as yeah. time goes on. Well, they, but I, I think uh, I've I always think... heard it referred to as the the, the refrigerator problem. Mm-hmm. Um not the not the crystal skull refrigerator right. problem, but the, the I love that scene. I don't care what anyone <laughs> says. I love it. 
I'm all in on that scene. But, but the, the refrigerator problem, I think it's a Hitchcock thing. It's like, it's like, it makes sense. It's something that makes sense in the course of a movie. And then it's not until like you drive home and you kick off your shoes and then you go to the, the, the fridge for a sandwich. Oh. And then you're like, wait a minute. Didn't he? Like, like famously, I don't think anybody, I, I, I think Casablanca doesn't make sense. Yeah. Like, like the, there's one murder that couldn't have been done by anybody or something. Right. And I don't remember the details, but it's like, like something like that, where it's like, it's crisscrossy and this happens, this happens. And by the end, you're like, you feel satisfied. But if you actually right. unpack it, it doesn't work. Yeah. Well, and then that's the question like, is movies like, have done that forever. For yeah. Sure. Like, what is the purpose of a movie? Like, if you're entertained watching Inception the first time, does it matter? Does it need to be anything else? Like, I would argue that... I don't think. I think I, it's like Hollywood blockbusters, yeah. you know? Like, it's I'm the going difference to... between... I mean, this is snooty, but, like, the difference between a movie and a film, right? Like, mm -hmm. a movie, you watch, and then yeah. a film, you can, like, re-watch. Yeah. I don't know. I don't, I don't actually uh, think that you need to let it slide, because I don't think it's that difficult in the course of all the other difficult things that you're doing making a movie... And I, because I don't actually think that blockbusters are different from other movies. Like I don't right. separate blockbusters and art films unless they're like at really extreme ends of those scales, right? Well, let's but, let's talk about let's talk about the crowning achievement of crowd pleasing and perfectly executed art film. Kind of Get Out. Have you seen Get yeah, Out? Yeah. Like Get Out is one of those that has like the opposite of the refrigerator problem, where there were a few yeah. moments where I was like. Now, wait a minute. And then I thought about it in context of seeing the whole thing. And then I'm like, oh, oh. she was doing that for the entirely opposite reason than I thought she was. That is messed up. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to spoil too much because that wasn't our assignment. So I don't want to spoil that yeah. one. But like, still a fresh movie. It's yeah. a fresh movie. But like, <laughs> oh, man, Get Out is so well done. And Get Out is a film that has audience surrogates in it that say... Basically, but the the way that it's successful, and I was listening to another podcast, uh, the Q&A with uh, Jeff Goldsmith, I think, uh, with Jordan Peele in it, and uh, he was talking about this, and like the, the audience surrogates in Get Out are successful because they do actually, they shout at the screen what you want to shout at the screen. Right. Like, yeah. I told you not to go, you know, don't yeah. go in the house, don't right. go downstairs, don't go around, the, turn the lights on, like, what the hell are you doing? Like, right. don't get out of the car, like, the characters will say these things either to each other or to themselves, mm -hmm. and it's like, it's so perfect, but it fits their characters, so it doesn't feel incongruous, it doesn't feel like, because some movies are like, like the Scream movies, for example. Just kidding. Obviously, yeah. Like just obviously, coming. they're like they're <laughs> going for that meta sort of yeah. thing, and like <laughs> being meta, like knowing that it's a movie is part of the thing, you know. Yeah. But like, or like, goddamn, Ocean's Twelve, where Julia Roberts plays a person who looks the same as Julia Roberts and Julia oh Roberts. God, God that movie's that. bad. Um, <laughs> like Eleven and Thirteen, though. But. uh yeah, like the screen movies talking about like, well, in the movie this this will happen, you know, yeah. and then they subvert it or or do that, you know, or Cabin in the Woods like subverting your expectations in that way. Like, some sometimes those are not as successful. I think that Cabin in the Woods is, but um, yeah, Get Out just does it in a very amazing way. Well, I think I mean like that. Like I said, like all movies are that's what movie making is, and that's right. why like like all movies are filled with exposition. Like that's what. A story is you know what i mean right and yeah the exposition is is that like that part in and mad max when they're going like brand to chase to mm -hmm. cliff to neck scar 
It's like that's exposition. It's just done in a way that's sort of it's done visually instead of uh, verbally. And yeah. show and, don't tell. Yeah, and I think because movies are a visual medium, that that I appreciate that. And uh, but you don't, you know, most movies are done with 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 it through dialogue in some way and then it's the the art of it is like sneaking it in there right, right. it's like if you can be sneaky about your exposition like that that's what re- good writing is deliver information yeah. and you don't realize that you're being given information yeah. because it seems so natural yeah. and i think like when you when we talk about action movies and stuff too it just mm-hmm. comes to mind like to me one of the sort of failings of a lot of modern action movies is that they're forgetting to put that exposition into the action sequences, right? Like there's no development yeah. that's going on within the action sequences. It's just clatter, right? And it's like, because the way that movies get made now with like the really expensive side, they send off the second unit director to go direct the action sequences. And right. then the director's back here directing the like dialogue sequences and they don't marry up. They have and they nothing don't, to do with each other. They have nothing to do with each other. And they're like, they're they're off jumping submarines or something. Yeah. And, and then they're, and surfing torpedoes. I haven't seen Fast 8 yet, but the yeah, trailer's right. out. Fast, Fast tonight, Seven, uh, I found immensely yeah. boring. Well, it's it's just tough because it's reason. like good action movies. The action sequences act as dialogue and as exposition, and like something needs to change from A to B, and then within each shot, and it's you know in Mad Max, all the action functions at the same level as any other shot within the movie. Yeah. Right? It's not just for 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 yays. And well, I think too. Yeah. Just back to to world building. I think greater world building helps me care about action more yeah like if i care about the world and characters and and everything involved then i'm way more you know i I think of transformers not very good world building right so when people are like you know when buildings are getting crushed people are dying but i have no feeling Mm -hmm. right but you know again mad max is is so strong where it's like even the random white painted guy every time one of them dies i'm like shit that guy someone's dead that guy's dead like it's so meaningful so how do you guys feel about uh the i'm i'm fascinated sort of by like the dc world building that's going on right now because it's like reverse world building yeah because it's like they made man of steel which i think they just didn't think about all the buildings falling down is a bad thing like it's kind of obvious right they're just like oh Superman fighting Superman would be a super cool thing. Like they could swing each right, other through a building right, and then right. the building would collapse and everything. And then everybody, I think in the, in the bubble of making that, they were just like, that would be super cool. Mm-hmm. And then they come out of it. Everybody's like, Superman Uh-oh. killed a lot of people. Yeah, like 9-11 guys. Yeah. And then, and like, cause they're actually like using that imagery. Yeah. You but know? then making Batman pissed about it. But then, but so, so, cool. so now they're like, okay. And I, you know, I mean, I also thought that that movie was terrible, yeah. but, but they, they overcorrected, but they, they just, <laughs> and they flung into the shoulder. Martha! <laughs> Why do you say that name? But it's kind of fascinating to watch them try and like wheel themselves into a, a world building that makes sense given what they already did. Yeah. Well, well, it's just they try they tried too fast with that. It's such a yeah, such yeah, a yeah. messed up thing, you know, trying to catch up to Marvel in in like th- three movies that took Marvel, you know, 10 yeah. movies. So, well, they, even this... Marvel it's complicated cuz it's like they built such a great world with Iron Man and what was the order? It was like oh, it was Iron Man and then um Iron Man 2. Yeah. And then Whatever it was, it was Thor and then Thor, Captain America. And then Captain America and or then Captain America. No, Captain America. Ca- I think it was Captain America first. Because I just remember being like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Thor, huh? And then Avengers. Yeah. Because it's like they built a world. Yeah, in it's which like there magic was like, something it was like It was like rich guy with robot stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yeah, there's Hulk too. Incredible Hulk. Yeah, yeah. Hulk, but like 
Hulk is still like science, science, mm-hmm. science, you know, uh, and then Captain America is total like science, science. Uh, although they have like cool uh, laser guns and stuff like that. Yeah. But then, then it's just like, oh, yeah, God. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, Zeus. Okay. Yeah. And then he, yeah. But then he did the cup smash thing and I was in. So it's okay. Yeah. 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 Well, this, this, Another. this brings us into something that we were talking about before we started shooting. The the Marvel movies are basically a TV series. They're they're a string of season finales. Does TV have the edge in world building over film because it can take its time more, or is that a detriment? No, I want to go back to Blade Runner again. Like there's so much in that world, and like you were saying earlier about like coming into the middle of it. Yeah. Like Blade Runner, you know, we get the the one title sequence, but it's really only about the the androids the nexus sixes it's not really about the world yeah and we come into this like disgusting dirty polluted los angeles and there there are some things that aren't even explained like the the flying blimp it goes to like three or four times with the broadcasting and like move off world yeah yeah, and move off world and it i just think you know that two-hour movie says so much that like even seasons of tv shows never Right. I think the risk with TV is uh, showing the frayed edges of it, right? Like you can, you have so much time to do something that depending on the style of the show, it, it might reveal that uh, this is a made up thing. You know what I mean? It's not real. And so like we, there are going to be inconsistencies and stuff like that. And, and if you have a really tight two hour movie, you can, you can kind of perfect that and then hide the rest Mm -hmm. Uh, like, like a Blade Runner or like, you know, like uh, I, I know d- later on down the list there's Star Wars, but it's like yeah. Star Wars was, you know, like the first Star Wars was, and to answer the future question, was amazing yeah. world building because you're yeah. coming in Does in the Star middle Wars of Star Wars have good world building? It's, Let's just do it. It's like, yes, obviously, yeah. right? Because it, it's like you, you're thrown into the middle of this battle, the right. very first shot. Yeah. And you're in the middle of it and there's like, you there's a history to it that you that you don't know yet, but you quickly we'll pick up and then there's this huge world this 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 war of galaxies and everything else with this massive like forces everywhere and you there's it, everything feels lived in yeah and and everything and then and darth got, vader comes in and you're just like what the hell is this yeah, he's <laughs> new, you're not watching the, the bad version of it starts you know at the beginning of the Star War, right? right. And then you see Darth the Vader prequel trilogy. Get, yeah. get like decide to be mad or whatever, yeah. right? And yeah, well, I, I was going to say, fast forward to the prequel trilogy, what happens is you take the shackles off George Lucas, who I actually will, I will defend George because I feel bad for what, you know, the, the sass he death. He no, created Star Wars. He's an amazing idea it's like guy when Jones or that anyone needs it, people to say no well, to him. When people talk shit on George Martin, like lagging on Game of Thrones, dude made it. Dude yeah. is inviting you into his mind. <laughs> Take your time, man. Yeah. But yeah, I think like, and, and I, I just recently read the, like the, the making of Star Wars book. That's mm-hmm. fascinating. And if you want to know about like Star Wars or movie making, cause it's so good about like going into the boring part of movie yeah. making, which is he had a really big, really bad script of like, like uh Luke star killer and the, the journey of the whills or something, right? Like it's really yeah, bad. Yeah, and, yeah. Or, and, and I was trying to follow it. Like it, it goes through like drafts and stuff and it stays bad until they start making it. And he didn't have the resources or the technology to make this huge thing. So he's like, 
and he squeezes down and so he he actually did it the like the way that you think you're supposed to do it it's like you have this big world and then you just focus down focus down focus down it's like oh i, I think we can make a, this movie about these five people yeah right and then he's got all this other stuff on the on the fringes that like populates the world and makes it good and then and then you go to the the prequels and basically the prequels are what star wars would have been in 77 right. if he if he had made money it. yeah mm-hmm. like, uh, i mean that like constraint is almost always beneficial yeah. to a a competent artist like i mean think about jaws is the famous example where like the shark never worked so they're like well we can't show the shark and now that's like oh yeah horror movies are better if you don't yeah. show the shark yeah, totally. like well and, and world building i think i think that world building in movies is uh it's a process of elimination not yeah. addition yes. it's like you're taking the whole world and you're taking out everything that isn't important yeah it's like and that's true also for like manchester by the sea it's true for anything right you're just you're, it's you're not cluttering up with with like it's not about adding details it's about taking away all the other details that aren't important so you reveal the details that are going to like propel the story forward yeah. or like populate the world in a way that makes it make sense for a movie which is a simplification and, of life and i think that it takes courage when filmmaking to put in details that don't need to be explained. I think right. uh, patron Adam Welshy Mullaney brought up the crow fishers in Mad Max Fury Road, those side characters on stilts yeah. that are right. just like, that turns out to be the green place, you know? Yeah. And like, those guys aren't explained. They're mm-hmm. just creepy, weird looking dudes and you're like, whoa, but they don't stand out. They go, you're like, you see those guys and you're like, yeah, they would be a part of this world. Yeah. I wonder but what they also, they're about. But they, then where the, where the world building comes in is they make sense because they're, they're on stilts in the swamp. Right. They're not just there. They're not just they're like not just cool looking. random. Yeah. Because yeah. that's like the death of, of good world building is is random cool looking stuff. Yeah. Let's talk about Tarsem. Let's talk about the fall and the cell. The fall is great, man. I love, love the, the fall. fall. Okay, love good. I thought you were bringing them. No, down. I'm not. But but that is ostensibly pretty random. But it's built right. in because this little girl is telling the story. Yeah, I mean they built that into the premise where yeah. it's like, yeah, 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 yeah. All right, let's talk story about sets. let's talk about Sucker Punch. Oh, I'd rather not. One of the most vile pieces of garbage ever made. Could be my least favorite movie of all time. Yeah, The Happening is mine, I think. And The Happening is there. I've only fallen asleep in like three movies, and yeah. The Happening is one of them. Yeah, The Happening is awful. <laughs> the number but... twenty three was another. Oh yeah, and uh, <laughs> Chapter twenty seven, the one with Jared Leto where he kills Lennon. That movie is bad. Anyway, uh. But Sucker Punch fails in this because none of it is tied to anything. It's cool right. world building. It's these cool vignettes that, like, on paper, you know, it's very Zack Snyder. Yeah, it's like, it. on paper, this looks really cool, and it's going to be visually very stimulating. But if there aren't stakes, if you know that it's just a dance, if you know that none of this matters... I mean, let's think about Die Hard. Like, he doesn't have... shoot the, the exposition, the setup of Die Hard is one of the most expertly crafted, like, first acts maybe ever put on film. Like, the guy in the plane says, hey, if you have jet lag, take your shoes off and make fists with your toes on the carpet. It's great. It's gonna, you know... So he takes his shoes off. Whoopsies. Terrorists attack the building. Now he doesn't have shoes for the rest mm-hmm. of the building. Shoot the glass. Yeah. yeah. Like... All of it leads in and it makes sense and it gives you stakes because you care about this man and it fits within this world, this this building, well, you know, the construction. Like when it's taking the glass out of his feet. Oh my you God. Like feel the you pain. feel it. Well, yeah, you it, feel so vulnerable. Because it is, it's like, it's stakes. It's like the, you know, in that, in Die Hard, it's, yeah, he's a human man who 
can't run across glass without right. filling up his feet yeah. with it. If you know, uh, Children of Men, another great, great movie that uh, in which the character doesn't have shoes all movie, and it's like the physical world is like it's hard to go, it's hard to run around a war zone without shoes. Yeah, you know, and it's like yeah, there's it's a world where there's gonna be pokey random stuff on the ground, and he's gonna like sprint from from cover and like cut his foot and then be like not able to run as fast it's like little like that's a little detail can, that they would have had to remember to be like yeah the ground is pokey because in most movies you just run from there to there and you can do this in more fantastical movies too like i'm thinking about the fly and the thing like hmm. the fly like you're there as his body rots and the the world is built around him in such a way that it has my favorite sorry well I, it's just it's just i think that it's really great no it has my favorite premise for teleportation it's so realistic right it's so realistic i'm like oh yeah just it's do that. presented just in a break world down the cells can, yeah. here rebuild them over here yeah cool we'll teleport <laughs> just like in charlie or just like in willy wonka <laughs> mike tv goes over the thing uh the where's the one i wanted to do um it's on page three I hope you calibrated these for, for yelling, by the way. I think uh, I did. He okay. always turns mine down. I turn humor's <laughs> way down. Mine's always way down. Um, yeah. Uh, patron One Last Spartan, nice. I believe, says that world building grants context to the characters. In some sense, I would argue it is less about building a world, but building a reason for the characters to exist as they are. Many John times Wick. the world, yeah, many yeah. times the world is an excuse to push mold uh, to mold a character into something. Mad Max is a prime example. Max is clearly mad. He is only that way because of the world. If he lived in a different world, he would not be like that. I don't think any of the characters would be that insane. What I'm trying to say, what I'm trying to drive home is that I don't really think it is world building to create a world, but to give reason for a character's existence, the world gives reason to the story. I think that's a really interesting... That's a great John, point. I, yeah. One, John one John Spartan. One last Spartan. One last Spartan. Good point. And I mean, I think that that is an important element of filmmaking, too, is that everything should serve your characters, generally speaking. Uh, like, if, you know, if, if the world... If you don't need a thing, get rid of the thing. Yeah. If it doesn't help the story, if it doesn't help the characters... And I do like that. I like... Um, this kind of goes into an, a point that I'll bring up uh, that Paul Henderson discusses in a second, but the I like the idea of the world as a reason or as a cause for something like that. Uh, he says, Paul Henderson says, the purpose of world building to me is establish a world where elements of humanity will be more common, and then the story can explore some of the benefits or problems of those being more common, or a cautionary tale of the believed repercussions of behavior now in a future setting. He also mentioned that exposition is realistic at times because people do explain things to each other. Uh, but I, think, like, I think part of I, I think if I interpret that it's it's that good world building does have to happen on a personal yes, scale. Yeah. Right. Because bad world building in movies is is overly elaborate. Right. Wide view. Right. Like it might be it somebody worked hard on it. Uh you know, I watched Jupiter Ascending in the oh, movie yeah. theater. I love right. Jupiter Ascending. I, <laughs> yeah. Jupiter loves everything. Yeah, no, I didn't, but that's okay. Cloud but, Atlas is but, hey, I saw Jupiter Ascending with Dawn, though. Oh, so. well, then, yeah, that it makes sense. And Dawn's Mossman. Pretty, oh, yeah. yeah. Dawn's uh, like, a, he's like one of those, he's got like a mutant power to just make everything great when you're with right. him. a 10 with Dawn. Well, I went specifically to Jupiter Ascending because I was like, I'm not going to like this, but I appreciate that they made a big crazy expensive ambitious 
uh, uh, movie that's original. And I was like, so I'll go give him my money and right. and uh, know that I will probably be annoyed afterwards. But it's like that the world building was was I mean, the details were interesting if it had been done in a different way, if it had been. Uh, a series that's right. a, that's one where i was like if this was a series and instead of everybody like I shouting down the details three movies right and then they were like we'll give you money to make one right and then they just made all three into one and that's the wrong thing to do like that's right. they should you know they, like that's what that's what george uh lucas didn't do right. right like he didn't try and cram right those the first three the first six Star yeah. Wars is Star Star Wars Star I Wars is- uh, into one movie. He's like, no, okay, well, let's do this little one because you know. I mean, I think it's about whether it's through uh, constraint of you know not enough financing or whatever, or just discipline in in and of yourself. But I think discipline is a huge factor in yeah. good world building because if you're writing a script and you're like, oh my god, like. Pacific Rim. Pacific Rim. Great example of this. There's a whole religion that worships these... Uh, what are they called in that? A kaiju. Yeah. Uh, and it's not really over-explained. But mm-hmm. Guillermo del Toro could have easily just been like, oh man, I'm so smart and cool. I'm going to explain this religion because mm-hmm. it's so cool. They're going to love it. No, that's not the right choice. Right. I'm thinking about... Uh, I mean, one of my favorite movies of all time, Upstream Color. Um, I don't know if you've seen it, but um, I think it's... the maybe one of the best in my opinion examples of visual storytelling that i've ever seen because shane carruth isn't afraid of you not getting it and like a lot of people are like this movie is very confusing to me i, I was like to my interpretation of it, it it makes sense the whole way through well it's, i think in that one that's a particular one where he's doing a difficult thing uh which is don't which is it's he's not building on like previous myth right right? so he's trying to do uh, a new thing where people are put into pigs i can't remember the details but they uh there are it starts with the flowers this is a cyclical movie kind of because it's about you know life cycles and stuff like that but it starts with the flowers there's these weird colorful flowers and they're like a drug of some kind they take the drug and they put it into these people and then they can manipulate the people's mind, and they're using it to steal money and stuff like that. But then uh, the people are like zombies for a little while, and then they take the 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 thing gives like a there's like a worm that that is in the pill or whatever, and then they take those worms out and put them into pigs for whatever reason, uh, which then makes the humans kind of psychically linked with these pigs. And, you know, and then it just kind of goes from there. And then, I mean, spoiler alert, I'll drop my hand if you haven't seen this yet. But the pigs have babies. These two, the the two human beings fall in love with each other, these two characters. And then the two pigs that represent them have children. And then the farmer that represents God, maybe some people think, uh, or the devil, take takes the babies and chucks them in a river. And then they bleed these strange colors, which then go downstream to the flowers which the guy comes and collects. Actually, two women come and collect them, and then it goes back and they make the drug. So it's like well, I, so. That is cool. the The ambition about that is cool of of just being like, I'm gonna come up with this new thing, and I'm just like gonna do it, and I'm just gonna do it. <laughs> or like the lobster, which is it's right. a, you know a random, not random, but it's like here's a premise yeah. and a world, and we're gonna build that. Yeah. You know, and it's it's harder to do that than to do a vampire movie. Right. right, and right. because we like you can lean on the tropes of vampire, and when you look at movies and genre movies, it's like so many of them. Even if they're an original thing, it's like 
oh, but it's vampires fighting werewolves or something. And it's like, that can still be cool. I like myth and, and the history of storytelling that we have. But it's harder to do something that's not that. Mm-hmm. Right. My, my last short right. was, uh, was you know, is, is about a garbage man who's depressed and he... Uh, he gets in a disagreement with a raccoon who puts a curse on him and he turns into a giant trash magnet that threatens to keep <laughs> growing and gobble up the world. Uh, and it, 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 if it's successful, it's like, it's hard. Cause it's like, okay, well I was trying to be trying to do it without saying, without doing the exposition yeah. uh, in dialogue you, form. I think you succeeded at it. Uh, but it's hard. Cause it's also, it's a short, you got budget yeah. limitations, you got, you got other limitations and it's like, how do you do this in a way that people are going to understand that a raccoon put a curse on the guy? Now he's a trash magnet, but yeah. the trash represents depression, whatever, you know, like whatever it is. And you're trying to do it without saying that or without trying to say well, what and, it has to be. And yeah. that reminds me of uh, it gave me very uh, heavy kind of Swiss Army Man vibes, which we'll probably discuss a little more in next month's episode, uh, Magical Realism. But um, that's something that I think is interesting is showing a character's mental state or mental illness as a manifestation of the world. You were talking earlier about Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. I would say Adaptation, being John Malkovich, also good examples of this. Uh, the TV show Legion right now. Like, I, I, I really like that kind of stuff. I'm in love with unreliable narrators, and I love it when a movie mm-hmm. is in and of itself an unreliable narrator because the world it's building is a lie. Even within the the world of the like the real world of the film, and then the world the film builds for you is fake because it's right. the character's perception. Mm-hmm. I love that kind of stuff. I don't know if this is quite what you what you're talking about in that sense, but one of my favorite movies of all time is The Weatherman. Mm, the I Gore, haven't seen that actually. Uh, Gore Verbinski directed it, and it's got Nicolas Cage. Have you seen yeah. that one? Yeah. And it's like bow and arrow. Yeah, bow and arrow. But it's it's real world. It's not it's not magic. And it's not fantasy. It's totally the real world. But the world is very specific to that movie. And the world is shaped in a way that it makes sense that whenever he's out, whenever Nicolas Cage is outside, people throw fast food at him. <laughs> and like that is just his world that he, right. that people just hate his face and they want to <laughs> throw Frosties at him. And it's like that's just part of that world. And like and and it's like to build that world in a in a realistic way that doesn't use sci-fi and stuff yeah. and make that feel really I, that's one of the reasons i love that movie uh one kind of kind of in line in the line with this but real world well done world building uh david geis uh, patron brings up apocalypto which is a historical <sighs> film Oh, Apocalypto has no dialogue, no English dialogue. No, I, I think there's some like there's a lot of talking. But Mayan it's not and stuff. Is it yeah, subtitled? I don't remember. Yeah, it's subtitled. Okay. Oh um, my god, I love that movie. But it, it he was saying it's in a, it's set in a historical scenario, but it's unexplored kind of for Western film, uh, and there's no real audi- audience surrogate. You're just thrown in and you explore it at your own pace. Uh, I just think that that's a pretty cool example of taking a historical drama. And building the world of our own world, but in the past. When a movie makes me like want to do research about right. all right. the time period, that like that's that's big for me. Apocalypto yeah. just made me obsessed with that time period. I was like, dude, what is happening? Who are these people? Why is it? What is it? all this? Yeah. And it just like made me so curious. Right. Well, I mean, people 
apparently i i i hope this is apocryphal but uh like i remember reading stories in 2010 ish that people were committing suicide because they couldn't go oh, to pandora, pandora. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know and, and i heard about that and that is awful but the like the, it shows like the people thought people felt this world was so real and tangible mm-hmm. that they wanted it to be real and that is a world where it's like that I, I have some issues with it being that, like, I don't know why things would grow six legs because that doesn't make sense. But uh, different gravity, man. Eh, OK, but yeah, no, and I, I like found myself. I was newly in uh, in film school at USC when I when that movie was out and playing and I was sort of on an island of my own yeah. defending Avatar. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was with you, buddy, because everybody else was was ten not having a good time. Right. And I like just thought that it's working on different uh, uh it's it has different objectives than than the movies that other people would throw in your face and be like, right. well, it's not the Godfather. It's, well, yeah, it's, not it's not trying not to be. The, now. It's not trying to be that. Yeah. Uh, and I think that it was a movie that was like working on a level of like myth and like universal storytelling. It's trying to tell a story to the world and not use like didn't need English so much. Like you can dub it into Chinese or something, yeah. and it's going to be just as effective because it's sort of a universal story. And that world made sense. It's like James Cameron is the master of that. Yeah. And yeah, I just thought that that world was one where, you know, it was sort of like simple and direct. It's not playing tricks on you. It's not trying to be too artsy and, and right. hide stuff, but it did feel complete and unified. It's very earnest. Yeah. <laughs> that movie. Yeah. Ooh, uh, Fern Gully. Pocahontas. Pocahontas. Uh, like, whatever, dude. The movie's awesome. Unobtainium, people always get pissed about. <laughs> I mean, that is a real. It's they, a really silly. But that's the thing. On the nose name. Look at the color palette of Avatar. Like, it's a cartoon. Yeah. It's a cartoon. Like, it's fine. It's mostly CG. Like, it's there to be entertaining and make insane amounts of money. And Mm -hmm. it nailed its premise. And now they're shooting the next four Four simultaneously? But it's also such It's a story well told, right? Like, it is a classic myth. Joseph Campbell. Yeah. Like buy the book story but i went and saw it a bunch of times in the theater because every time i saw it the same hairs on the back of my neck stood up when uh when letty from fast and the furious like does her suicide dive like because it uh and i just kept noticing that because it was like a physical sensation right it was like okay the lizard brain part of my brain knows that that is i i actually storytelling i'm x3d dude there's nothing like it i actually have to wonder if and this will lead me into what i was going to mention next but I wonder if there is, like, a scientific way to just do that. Like, hit the lizard brain. Like, in music writing or filmmaking. What's that one movie that has, like, like, the the constant... Enter the Void. Enter the Void, I think, right? Yeah, it has, like, it has the, like, earthquake frequency because it makes people feel nauseous. Yeah. (laughs) I think there there is and there isn't because it's, like, also once it's been done once, Mm. then you can't press the same buttons again like you can press right. similar buttons like i said like like avatar all the knocks against it were like oh it's dances with wolves it's fern gully it's whatever right. it's yeah sure it's like but you know the always dances like, with wolves ugh. wasn't the first story to do right. that either it's like it's all the this same. is how yeah. stories criticism work. always it's gets the me. dan Harmon story circle it's right. like if it's not uh it's, explain that for people who don't know what that is. uh well after spending uh, uh ungodly amounts of money on uh on a film a master's degree uh the most useful storytelling tool that i've ever found is like an old blog from dan Harmon on channel 101 which is just he breaks down stories into this story circle and it's like this is uh it's not like it's not meant to be a template of 
of like do this to sell your script and tell your story it's right. like this is what a story is like if it doesn't conform to these like criteria in some way then it's just not a story it's like something else it's mm-hmm. it's a series of events right mm. and uh and so it's like basically you it's a, you have a character who uh has a need and they go and search uh you know so they set out to go uh in search of something to fulfill that need and they cross a threshold into a new and unfamiliar world and then they find themselves at their dark at the darkest place which is directly opposite from where they started yeah. in the beginning either emotionally or physically or whatever I'm seeing unforgiven right now like and then so and then they clearly. make a they make a choice and the character has to make a choice to actively go you know return uh to where they started so they start you know they use what they've learned on the first part of their journey to now it's they've got a tool belt to to use that to climb back out then they cross the threshold back to exactly where they started but they're different. But yeah. they're better. They've changed. Yeah. And, I mean, and yeah, it's like it's Aristotelian three X structure. Like it's the same stuff that people have been it's doing the same, since it's, the beginning. It's Joseph Campbell. It's it's all the same like hacky uh, screenwriting books. Yeah. But Sid Field is yeah. Sid Field. Uh, what, Save the st- cat. Uh, Robert McKee. Yeah. Which is his version is unreadable. Yeah. I own it, but it's unreadable. There's a scene of that in adaptation, right? Yeah, that he that... goes to a Robert McKee yeah. story. Wait, that's a real person? Yeah. I forgot that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's a real person. Yeah. And that's why adaptation is the one of the greatest movies it's of all so time. It's so good. Because it's about a writer who loses faith in his own writing yeah. and then writes himself into the movie that he's writing and then writes his worst fears of what he could become as his brother into the movie that he's writing and then kills himself off has the fake brother that's a hack finish the movie, finish the movie. and then in real life got both himself and his fake brother nominated for, for an, oscar. an oscar yeah <laughs> did it so convincingly um but yeah uh, uh but no i just like like that like the 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 story circle of that and like to to tell a good story is like you have to put the characters if we're trying to segue this back to world building yeah. it's like you have to put your characters in a world that makes sense for them to be able to go through that journey and it's like to have a need that's going to be a compelling need for them to, to I think, fulfill I think that uh, just like a master course in in that in good character motivation and uh, change and also world building is the show Black Mirror I think that every episode of that show even the weaker ones successfully build a, a convincing world and then have a character go through those steps and uh, usually not come out better in the end. <laughs> but yeah, um, we are running low on time. So we are going to uh, segue this into talking about next month. We're doing uh, the next next episode is called Magical Realism. And the assignment film is homework. Brazil. Your homework is Brazil. Because at the end of That's every not episode... Homework. That's just good. Oh, it's a That's pleasure. That's just good yeah. movie watching. Make sure you watch the actual version of Brazil, not the one that ends well. <laughs> um, if, you, if, if things are happy, you've made a mistake. Uh, like Blade Runner, if there's VO, you're watching yeah. the wrong version. Yeah. Uh, but the deleted scenes of Blade Runner on the Blu-ray, Final Cut Blu-ray are amazing because it's 56 minutes of all of his narration is the deleted scenes and you can watch them in order. So it's like watching 
like an episode of the Twilight Zone or something like a detective story. It's bonkers. It's great. And it has a different ending. It's crazy. But um, Brazil, very interesting movie. Uh, it fits this month's theme of world building and it'll lead us into next month's theme of magical realism. Now, I know what you're thinking. Ian, that movie is set not in our reality. How can it contain magical realism? Well, we're going to get into that next month. Uh, but uh, one thing that we would like to do to finish... We've never done this show before, but I'm going to say that we like to do this, is we're going to do the quote challenge. Mm. So uh, Huber and I, hopefully Huber and I, have uh, picked a quote that we're going to do, something that we're pretty sure the other person has seen. Uh, I know you've seen mine, I think. Uh, And then we're going to say the quote and see if they can get it. If you can't, we won't say it, and then people at home can see if they can get it. Uh, if you can think of one, go for it. But I, I sprung this on you, so okay. Huber, do you have yours or no? I've got it. Okay, go hit us. We've we talk. The, I'm gonna give a give a hint. Am give I us a hint to... after. Okay. Terrible thing killing a man. Take everything he ever had. And all he's ever gonna have. I know I've seen this. Oh man. Terrible thing killing a man. Ooh. Ooh, I know I've seen it. Do you know it? No. Oh, I've seen it. I'm What's terrible the at the quote challenge. By the way, the hint is the movie was discussed on this podcast. Okay, so it's so it has been brought up. No, is it Unforgiven? No. Unforgiven? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so nice. laid down definitively. Nice. Yeah. Uh, okay, here's mine. Well done. Here's mine. I goddamn near lost my nose, and I like it. I like breathing through it. I know that one. You know it. Let's give let's give Huber a minute. <laughs> Who framed Roger Rabbit? No, but kind of close. Actually, like pretty close in a weird way. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Beetlejuice or something? Nope. Uh, I'm trying to think of other quotes from this movie. Bad for the grass. Yeah, yeah. Bad for the grass. Honey, I shrunk the kids. No. Uh, what's another one? Mulvahill. <laughs> is, it, is it comedy? No. No. But when you just shout Mulvahill, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah, pretty yeah. funny. Uh, she's my, she's yeah. my daughter. She's Psh. my sister. Psh. She's my daughter. Psh. She's my sister. Psh. She's my sister and my daughter. <laughs> oh my god. The mask? No. No. <laughs> Forget it, Jake. It's the name of this movie. <laughs> All right, Alan, what is it? Chinatown. Chinatown. Chinatown, dude. Oh my so god. So good. I've seen it once and it was like 10 years ago. Ah, okay. Yeah. All right, a blind spot. Yeah. We put blind you on spot. the spot. It's yeah. a blind spot. Do yeah. love it though. I love that uh, movie. So, only seen it once. Yeah. I rented it's it. It's fantastic. Rented it on Netflix back when... uh, Say what you will about Polanski. Back when you got, like, DVDs and Blu-rays from Netflix, actually. Yeah, oh, yeah. My dad still does that. My dad does, too. And every time time he he mentions it, he's like, yeah, Netflix loves me. I've had the same movie for six months. That's what my dad says. (laughs) I think that's what dad said. Yeah. He's had Sicario sitting on... The last, like, three times I've gone home, he's had Sicario sitting on the by the tv i did when i started with that uh netflix didn't exist in canada so oh. i had zip.ca which uh sounds shady yeah does canadians you guys can write in does it still exist i doubt it <laughs> write uh, us in right <laughs> right in tell us about uh, tell us your zip.ca do you have a twitter story. account 
Uh, I think so. I don't use it. Maybe, maybe now the legions of fans of, of, of <laughs> Easy uh-huh. Allies will, uh, uh, yeah, AKC Miller. I'm on the internet usually as AKC Miller. Okay. AKC Miller. Tweet at AKC Miller uh, if zip.ca is still a thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you for watching the pilot episode of Reaction Shots. Thank you, Alan, and thank you, Huber. Thank you. Any opportunity to nerd out? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure I'll have you back if you want to be back. Yeah, we'll talk later. Yeah, I've got a bunch of themes figured out, so we got to figure out. Yeah, yeah, shady deals. Um, But yes, uh, the assignment film for next month is Brazil. Oh, um, yeah, we can announce this. Uh, Huber and I, uh, someone on Twitter or uh, Patreon, when we were announcing this idea, and I'm sorry, I don't recall who you were, but you're a genius. Um, had the idea that we should do riff tracks style downloadable commentary tracks for the assignment films. Uh, and Huber and I are going to try to get that going. Uh, obviously we didn't get Mad Max done before this, but, um, the most out of my comfort zone. Huber doesn't like talking during films and neither do I. But I think no. that uh, so most I think you guys can you guys seen. can still do a track. It'll just be ninety percent si- silence. It'll be it'll be me starting to talk and then Huber going mm. shh. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be the most appropriate riff track. That would be amazing. <laughs> do you guys remember when Ryan Johnson did that for was it Looper? He recorded his own commentary for you to put on your your iPod mm-hmm. uh, and then go to the movie theater and listen to oh, it with it wild. in your ears. That's uh, cool. Whoa. Which was like a cool. Uh, that's that's a like, cool. Why idea. not? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so I'm, I've been trying to think of. I looked into a little bit of how Rift Tracks does the syncing. If you guys have any better ideas, if you all have any better ideas, uh, but what I think I'll do is we'll start. You'll start our audio, and then we'll say pause it now, but unpause it when this word or this name comes up on the screen, and then you should be synced with us mm-hmm. in the movie. Yeah. So I think that's Give how we'll do it. Give or take yeah. two seconds. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, seconds. it probably won't be too critical, but yeah. we'll try to do a lot of, like, really reaction-based stuff where it's like, oh, you know, so if you're off, it'll... Brazil, dude, another one of those movies I've seen one time, like, Well, it's going to be great to revisit ago. it and talk over the whole damn thing. Uh, but remember, anyway, like, weird images Twelve Monkeys, movie. another world Twelve building. Monkeys, yeah. Gilliam, dude, he's a master. yeah. 12 Monkeys TV show is not bad. I haven't watched too much TV. That was another There's thing. There's a lot of TV. TV. It started way too much TV. Way There's a lot of TV. Much. The Expanse, pretty much. Just watch The Expanse. Yeah. And Planet Earth 2. Yeah. I, w- I wanted to bring this up. Samsara. Have you seen that movie? Have you? No. It's a Ron. I always forget if it's Ron or Rob Frick. Um, you've seen shots from Samsara. Samsara. Uh, I used yeah. to Google. It's like a uh, like um, uh, nature shots, right? It, nature. It's humans. Yes. The film Lucy uses a lot of shots from it. And Is it like a Koyana Squatsy situation? It's where the it's same like, guy. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, it's yeah. It's a it's a documentary with no words in the entire thing. Starts with some Tibetan monks making a crazy yeah, sand Samsara. painting, uh, and then it just goes and goes. I would say pretty pretty crazy world building, and it's building our world. But that's the thing, like we were talking about in the beginning, Cinema Verite doesn't Planet exist. Earth, great world building. Right. But I mean, but it is though, because Cinema Verite, like the, the, the whole dream of truth in filmmaking or whatever, like the objective eye doesn't exist because you're choosing to point a camera at something. And so I think that I would argue that documentary is world building because you're choosing to build the world that you're building in this documentary. Well, yeah, otherwise it's just sort of random and nonsense. Yeah, nonsense. 
You ever see Rivers and Tides? Mm, see that documentary? Yes. Great documentary about a, an artist, the Andy Goldsworthy, stacks I want to say. He stacks sheep wool on stacks, walls and stuff? Stacks rocks uh, in like tide flats. And, and like makes, makes like, ice sculptures yeah. and stuff. So it's all fleeting and... It Although goes the, away. It, it, it's beautiful, and he makes art uh, in he's he's in Wales or somewhere, Scotland, uh, some Scotland, yeah. and uh, makes sort of like fleeting art that that disappears, um, but then completely undercuts his whole premise by making a movie about it. Right. Yeah. Did he? <laughs> so he didn't make the movie though. No, somebody no, else somebody, was like, somebody, let's somebody, make the movie. Yeah. yeah. Uh, watch documentary now. Also, great show. Criminally underappreciated. And mm-hmm. Vice. There's an HBO. episode of uh, there's an episode of documentary now about Vice. The it's show Vice, Jones. yeah, dude, such a good show. It's unreal. Yeah, you want to recommend another thing? Uh, Terminator Two. We Thank didn't you. talk. I about wanted this. to talk about it when is you were Terminator, talking about Terminator Two. When is you, Terminator good world building or is it trash? Dude, when you were talking about restraint, yeah, Terminator Two has so much restraint because it. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. It's, no, it's we're like, doing it. We're in it. I mean, we're it's the it's a sequel too, so it's already kind of an established world, so it doesn't have to do as much. But it's like we see Arnold T eight hundred come in. You know, it, it it. I just think it has so much restraint. It's ta- it's especially the T one thousand. Like he when you first see him and you first encounter him, you know Arnold's blowing him away and he's liquid metal, boom boom boom. And like we just get, you know, when when John Connor's like, what the hell? Who was that? Blah blah. It's like. The T-800 explains it because he's the robot and it's, like, supposed to. It's his programming. But, yeah, I just think Terminator 2 has so much restraint and it's so grounded. Terminator 1 and 2 have amazing world building. Mm -hmm. Uh, All the Terminators after that don't. Well, Uh, 1 and 2 canon only James Cameron. 1 and 2. Yeah. But, no, just James Cameron. Like, James Cameron, he's very open about the fact that he found Joseph Campbell and, uh, like, realized, because he's an engineer, basically, and he realized that he could engineer movie stories and he follows those uh you know those tropes uh really really closely and carefully and he makes really great movies that 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 the world makes sense the characters make sense you can argue that they're formulaic but they're that's the form of his movie making right sometimes i don't think that that's bad i don't know yeah i would and i will take formulaic like like solid formulaic storytelling over nonsense yeah although to just refute my screenwriting teacher from college uh the film from dusk till dawn i think is a great is a genius movie and the my teacher at the time was like never do this You, you they've built this world they've established these characters they've done this thing and then they go into this bar and all that is thrown by the wayside, which is not true because it no. still comes to fruition. And that's fruition. why that was a film teacher and we're all rich right. movie makers. And then we're all geniuses. Yeah. yeah. But like, and then I said, I, I raised my hand in class. And I'm like, yeah, but sometimes you just walk into the wrong bar. Yeah. Like, that's real life. That happens. Well, and that's still part of it. And the only reason that that movie is good is because uh, they have such, Tarantino had such a hold of genre conventions. Right. Uh, and formal storytelling that he could make two individual awesome movies, smash them together in the middle, uh, and they both make sense. And they don't get thrown out because no. all the character dynamics and stuff that, that play out in the beginning of that movie play out through the end of the movie. And it's like, now you've got characters that you understand in a deeper level, right. but also they're fighting vampires. Right. And George Clooney's like, 
I know so we're dealing cool. with, but he's he's so cool in that. But I love so the part cool. when he's just like, and nobody give me that vampires aren't real shit because I don't think so either. But we're clearly dealing with that, so that's where we're at. <laughs> like, <laughs> anyways, we're out of time. Yeah, watch Thank Terminator you. Two. Watch Terminator Two. Holds up. Watch Brazil though. I mean, that's your that's the assignment. But uh. And we'll, yeah, we'll try to get those uh, commentaries up. We'll see how that goes. Um, but anyway, thank you very much for watching Reaction Shots. Join us next month. It'll always be the second Friday of the month, public, a few days earlier on Patreon if you're a $7 and up uh, patron. Uh, if this is the first time you're hearing of Easy Allies, we're a patron gr- Patreon group, patron-supported. Uh, go to patreon.com slash easyallies to check us out. Most of our stuff is about video games, so if you're also interested in video games, check us out. Uh, we do a lot of streams and shows and crazy stuff. It's Dark funny. Souls, good world building. Dark Souls, great. Best. Best of all lore. time. Good video games have lore-based storytelling. End of story. Thanks for watching. Bye.